Welcome to the Be Disciples podcast with your host Kyle Morris and Dakota Smith. This is episode number 72 as we continue our study in the book of Acts. How's it going today, Dakota? It's good. Another Monday morning, uh, back at work, excited to uh, face what, you know, whatever this week holds and just continuing to push hard. I think things at church have been really encouraging. Um, attendance has been really high the last couple weeks. Um, you know, we're heading into the holiday season. And I think it's just, it's these times of year where, you know, everybody realizes, oh, it's about the fellowship and and we need to get together. We're looking forward to the Turkey Bowl this coming Sunday. Uh, we got Thanksgiving and Christmas on the horizon. So yesterday after church, my family and I, we put up Christmas lights and the Christmas tree because we knew we wouldn't have time to do it after Thanksgiving right away. So we're kind of kicking things off early this year. Nice. Yeah. And this last Sunday was kind of a mission Sunday for us at Ottawa Bible Church. And uh, we had a guest speaker, J.J. Harling. Um, and we really just focused on missions. You know, we've been in Philippians and he talked about uh, sending people, uh, which, you know, our church's vision is live sent. And so, uh, you know, kind of same thing as we're in Acts right now. We're talking about the first apostles that are living sent that have been told to go. And so we we had that as, as kind of a, a kickoff as we look into 2023 as a church for missions, as we continue to partner down in Mexico with I-68, uh, and then as we continue to look at other opportunities to continually uh, send people, not just a once-a-year short-term trip, but something that we can do on a regular basis where our people are always going. And so that's kind of what we're building here at Ottawa Bible. We want to uh, look like what the New Testament tells us to do. We want to be doing those things. And right. so uh, as we study Acts, I hope that you guys continue to pick up on this. As the apostles go, we are also to go. Yeah. One of our goals as a church is to start reaching Central and South America with our um, missionary efforts, I guess you could say. And, you know, a good place to start with that is in Mexico. But I think branching out from there, our goal is to send individuals from our church that we have trained as facilitators to other countries to then facilitate and teach pastors and, and lay leaders the Word of God to help encourage and equip churches out there. So, Yeah, wasn't it? It was interesting when J.J. gave that statistic of African pastors having 15 minutes yeah. worth of theological training. Just by sitting in the pew, our people have more than that. Yeah, so to think that we can't send our own people who learn every week in home groups and Bible studies, Sunday mornings, just engaging. They know a lot more uh, about Scripture uh, and uh, the way to teach it, because at our church we teach how to interpret the Bible uh, by way of helping them learn how to teach it as well. And so, yeah, we want to equip to go equip. We want churches around the world to be teaching the Bible, uh, the the Word of God, uh, and have the training to do so. Yeah, I think sending our people is of the utmost importance. Um, I think when your leadership does it first, then the people get excited and they follow They follow along. And we've been trying to do that. You know, we've been trying to live it out so that we can set an example uh, for the saints. So with that being said, let's dive into Acts chapter 4. Yeah, because we're going to be talking about some guys who weren't formally trained. That's the point. Yeah. You're going to see it in the very first verse. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much uh, just that we get to sit and read your word and talk about it. 
uh, and record it to be publicly posted um, to to a, a place where many people can listen around the world. Uh, this freedom, this opportunity uh, is not available to everybody, and we recognize the blessing that it is. And so thank you, uh, Lord, for uh, another way uh, to get your word out into the world and continue to uh, bless the people listening in their lives, that they would be equipped and trained to go and share the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So during our last episode, we concluded with chapter 4, verse 12, where Peter said, There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And then he uh, goes in this direction, or Luke writes in this direction, starting in verse 13. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained, literally unlettered, they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you, rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them, on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. That's 13 to 22. Yeah. First off, we see Peter and John uh, standing there and being recognized as uneducated uh, one, fishermen <laughs> who, what do they know? And, and I mean, in the common, in that, in that day, what it means to be, you know, untrained men, they weren't trained like the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they weren't trained in that way. There was no formal training. They were not educated at all. Now, were they trained by Jesus? Yes, they were trained by Jesus and, and given the word and given the Holy Spirit. Uh, but they, but weren't, they form- weren't formally trained. Not like the Pharisees had. So what, they wouldn't have had that that lens, right? The Pharisees, the religious leaders would have looked at them as just common people who should be underneath their authority. Yeah. But Peter and John are speaking as if they have the authority and they have evidence standing next to them of the power of God healing a man through them right next to them. So there's this like there's astonishment, there's wonder, there's all of these things happening because why these guys, they clearly have something going on and we should probably listen to them. Well, if you think about what the Pharisees valued, they valued their own high level of education, which only resulted in a heart that was farther and farther away from God, because they then took the scriptures, twisted it for their own advantage. It was like, it was all, their education was all about how prestigious they could be. But the education that Jesus gave was truly spirit-filled and called these disciples 
to live humble lives where they worship Him and live for His kingdom. I mean, I don't care who you are or what level of education that you have as a pastor today, regardless of what seminary you go to. Um, you and I have gone to seminary and are still in it. But there could be no greater education in contrast than to sit down with Jesus for three and a half years. How many doctorate degrees do you earn in those three and a half years just by sitting down with Jesus alone? So they may have been uneducated before the Pharisees, but these men were actually had the highest level of education any men have ever had in human existence, which is just quite interesting. They're empowered by the Spirit in the process. Yeah, I mean, I think we look at these men um, sometimes as as not capable as the Pharisees were. Uh, who are they to come around and 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 speak authority because they don't have any standing. Um, any reputation that's worthy of of being listened to. Uh, we spent time studying. We spent time learning these things. We're the ones who do all this. But you come in here and speak as if you're speaking for God. I mean, there's there's a little bit of that. There's tension there. I mean, it's the same tension Jesus had, right? Jesus is going around saying, I am. Mm-hmm. I am the Messiah. I am God. That's and right. the Pharisees going, how dare you? That's right say that. So we have this same tension. It's It hasn't gone away. Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. And now the apostles are out there doing the same thing, preaching the gospel, the word that saves people. The same tension exists. And we're seeing that here. And we're going to see it all through Acts as the early church struggles with persecution, struggles with the same tension Jesus had in his life. You know, it's interesting how the council responds as well as you're looking at the rest of the passage from 15 through 22. They don't know what to do. I mean, verse 16, they literally just say, what shall we do with these men? Uh, they they can't argue against the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place. And then they get to verse 17, but so that it will spread no longer. Let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. They won't even mention Jesus's name. That's That's kind of unique to me. So, not not only has this been the same old problem, but it's the same old heart problem among the Pharisees. They don't even want to mention Jesus' name. And then look how Peter responds. Well, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. But we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. We're going to keep going with what we've seen and heard. You can keep rejecting. We're going to keep going. Yeah, that's like, think of Jesus healing of the blind man and then going to, and then they were investigating yes. the healing and then they went to his parents yes. and their parents are like, don't involve us. <laughs> like you could clearly see what has happened. Uh, and, and, and there was just this investigation. They kept, how could this happen? How could this happen? And Jesus healed many times and we're still seeing it here. That's and, right. th- and now they're like, that's right. We don't even know what to do anymore yep. because it's clear that these healings are happening. We know these people and had their ailments. Yep. They're not unknown people, and now all of a sudden they're healed. So they're in a predicament where they don't want to believe the one who's actually healing. They believe that the healings are happening, so they're like stuck in this hard place. I mean, I think of Nicodemus. He was stuck in a hard place. Yep. I have education. I have power. I have authority. And you want me to give that all up to follow you? You know, I, yes. yeah, I do. I want you to give that all up. And I want so, you to give up everything, actually. Yeah. And, and eventually he does, not in that moment in Scripture uh, when they have that conversation at night, but uh, later on that happens. And hopefully these men do, too, because they're, they're in a really tough place. They have to take evidence before their eyes and deny it in order to continue to live the life that they're living. And that's been the tension. 
The tension is Israel's leaders, although they can see, they can't see. Although they can hear, they can't hear. And that's what the gospel does. For some, you know, the gospel saves, and for others, the gospel causes you to, to fall and to be crushed by the stone. Um, the gospel has one of two effects. It either softens your heart or hardens your heart, but there is no middle ground. So from there, I suppose we go from 23 to 31, right? Now we see the result of their being released. Verse 23, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage? And the peoples devise futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do with your hand, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Oh man, there's a lot here. 23 to 31. Yeah, there is, there is. <laughs> a few theological conversations to have in the midst of that. Yeah, I mean, first kind of storyline, they get released. Yes. That's important. And they go back to their friends. They go back to where they're gathered to report what has happened. And the first thing they do is lift their voices together to God and say, Sovereign Lord. Yeah. Right? They go and they praise God for what has happened. They get they got the opportunity to share the gospel. They got the opportunity to show the power of, of Jesus and in, in healing this this man. And then they go and they praise God for it. Yeah. What a what a positive response. What a what a response of obedience, right? Peter and John could have went off and done what? Hey, look what we did. Yeah. They could have. Mm-hmm. Look, look, look at this. Now they're just reporting about Jesus. Yeah, they go back, <laughs> they don't say, look at us. They go, man, look at God. Look what God is doing through his people. They're, they're excited for what Jesus has done. And then they kind of give a little bit of a doxology, you know, a praises to God, yep. sovereign God, the creator of all things, uh, the one who, from out of the mouth of the Father David, and then we have a psalm. Yep. So, yeah, it's kind of like a little bit of a doxology here towards God, praising him, worshiping him. Yep. And I think that's an exciting thing to see because I, I ask myself the question, do we do that? When we do we celebrate God and, and glorify God in times of opportunity to share the gospel? Well, it's interesting to me. I mean, the word doxos for doxology is the word glory. Doxos is glory. They're giving glory to God. And as they're quoting scripture, like, think about their filter. They are believers in Jesus Christ. And when something comes their way, what's the first thing they think about? They think about the Bible, mm-hmm. right? And, I mean, this at the very least, I don't even know if it's the main point of the text, but it is a point. And they're certainly using the scripture as their filter with, like, regardless of what situation they come across. 
But something interesting is they are dealing with the Jewish leaders of the day. But look at the psalm that they quote in verse 25. Why did the Gentiles rage? And the peoples devise futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Um, I think that's Psalm 2. But uh, nevertheless, it's interesting that they are coupling in the Jewish leaders with the raging of the Gentile leaders against the Lord and against his anointed. So that's something to say about the condition of the leaders of Israel. Something else that is noteworthy is verse 28. It speaks about God's hand and God's purpose predestining things to occur. The scripture is very clear on this. It says in uh, the scripture that before the foundation of the world, that it was prepared beforehand, that the Lamb of God would be slain. You and I don't fully comprehend this, but what we do know is that God, even before he created the world, knew exactly what would happen to his son, and his son signed off on it. Yeah, last night in our youth group, we're studying John, and we're studying the crucifixion. And we're going through the details that John puts in about the crucifixion, the minute details from it being Passover to being the sixth hour to to following the actual Passover uh, timeline of Jesus, the Lamb, dying on the cross, being sacrificed for sin, to the men casting lots for his garments, to the spear being pierced into his side, to uh, to uh, every little detail John puts in there is a piece of evidence that, that helps us. And I think these, these details really, really matter in the grand scheme of things. It helps us believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that's the purpose of John. And so... When we look at these things, I just think it's so important that we see these details, we see the evidence, we see what's happening here, and we notice these things because this is what allows us to answer the questions people are going to ask us as Christians. When you're sitting down with somebody studying the Bible Mm -hmm. and they ask, well, why did this happen or why did that happen? We're able to answer the questions because we're given the details and the evidence is so clear and it's so uh, expansive there's so many eyewitnesses that you can't you can't deny it. Yeah. And so that's really important when we're reading here throughout scripture and we're looking at these details that we catch that. And and the idea that these things were predestined, they were predestined to the millisecond. They were. Yeah. I mean to the smallest time. I mean everything that happens through his Jesus's life to leading up to the crucifixion, to the crucifixion itself, to how he was prepared and buried, to how he was risen and who saw him first. I mean, everything happened exactly the way God wanted. They said right here, the first two words, sovereign Lord, the controller of all things, the one who is all powerful, who knows all and puts all things into existence. They're praising God because they know he's in control. You know, And some would say, well, okay, does that mean that he's the one who forced Pontius Pilate? Does that mean he forced Herod? And we get into all of those questions, right? Um, Because then is God the one forcing them to sin? You know, the interaction between God's sovereignty and free will is something that I'm not sure we will ever fully understand. But we know the scripture has already declared that God tempts no one to sin. So if we have that from James, that's true. But God is utilizing their cold, calloused, unbelieving heart for his purposes. And we do see the same thing with Pharaoh. God actually was able to use his cold, 
calloused heart for his own purposes. In God's foreknowledge, he knows what you're going to do with your free will. He knows the condition of your heart. And he knows what the gospel is going to do to your heart. So it's interesting. Can it be said that God will just use people, use their life because they themselves have already made a waste of their life? Well, yeah. Yeah, he can. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I think there's an element that we we forget, and then that's the heart issue mm-hmm. with Pilate, with Herod. Yep. In that in that instance, look back at what what are the things Jesus says in those instances. He says a little bit with Pilate, and we may not get the full conversation. But when he's before Herod, doesn't really say anything. I mean, there's no like persuasion. Jesus isn't saying, "Hey, let me go, please, please, let me go." Yeah. He's just there. Yeah. Because he knows exactly what he's doing. He, he allows them to make their decisions because of the place where they're at in their life, in their heart. He, he knows these things. So go back and read it. I find it fascinating yeah. how, how much Jesus talks between the garden very little. and the crucifixion. Not very much. You know, it's really interesting because Jesus actually told Pilate that, you know, you don't have any authority over me. The only authority that you have is authority that's been given to you from above. Like, I could call angel armies down if I wanted to. And then Pilate's like, oh, so you are a king. And Jesus is like, it is as you say. Jesus could have done whatever he wanted, but it's amazing to me that this section of the scripture, what it's really pointing out is that nothing that happened to Jesus was just like, oh no, I didn't see it coming. Oh, well, okay, I guess now that we're here randomly and we just happen to be here, well, now, okay, well, I guess I'll come up with some last-minute plan to die on the cross for your sins. No, what it's showing is that God was in charge of the sending, God was in charge of the persecution of Jesus, God was in charge of the atonement of Jesus, God was in charge of the resurrection of Jesus. This is not of man's doing. This is of God's doing. And God is simply utilizing cold hearts to make it happen as well as a form of judgment against them. Yeah. I like, I like, Jesus is never caught off guard. No. Read the gospels. Jesus is never caught off guard. He can't be because he knows what's going to happen. He, even within certain instances, like I think of Lazarus and his death, Jesus wasn't in a hurry right. to get to Lazarus. Why? Because he knew that he's going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. Yeah. No problem. No problem. Well, yeah. I don't need to rush. Everyone else is in a hurry. Like Martha's like, you, sh- you could have been here earlier. You could have saved him. Yeah. And he's like, don't you believe? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so it's just an interesting, these things that Jesus does, it shows us that he wasn't surprised. He was, it was the plan that God had put forth. We see it in the garden in his prayer that he knows what he must do. And then comes all of these details, these things that you can't make up. Like these were things that were put into place. He uses the people and their hearts, really uses the sin that is in their hearts uh, to accomplish the cross, which is ultimately to save them. Right. And so he, he uses that, but also to give them an opportunity to be saved and to live in eternity with God. So it's just such an, an amazing the, the thread to, to go through Scripture with and to really pay attention to those details is so awesome. So it's interesting in verses 13 to 22, we have the threat. Then we have the release. Now we have the response. We've been dealing with the response of the people. The, the people, the the other believers, what they're doing is they are responding in such a way where they're thinking through Scripture. And their mind goes straight to Jesus' ex- example over what's taking place with them. Now we get to verses 29 to 31. 
and we don't just see the response of, uh, I guess you could say, you know, Peter and John as to what they're going through, but now we see the response of how this is actually going to encourage the church. There's another response to take place. And it has to do with their boldness. So, like, verse 29, And now, Lord, take note of their threats. Lord, take note of what they're doing to threaten us. And grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. God, please give us the power to speak your word with a greater confidence in, in the midst of opposition. Then verse 30, While you extend you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. I feel like I can't talk this morning, but nevertheless, it's like they are acknowledging the fact that God is obviously doing something, and they just continue to pray that they can be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, you see the word boldness used twice here. I mean, they are just filled with the Holy Spirit. It says the house shakes yep. uh, with power. Yeah, verse 31. And... And what I don't what an amazing thing to be a part of. They're recognizing who's in control. They praise God. They then say, God, take note of the things that are against us, which we know God knows these things, and then use healing, signs, wonders for your name. For your name, not for us, but for your name to advance the gospel. And I think their hearts in this moment, the early church here, is so so focused on spreading the gospel, and that it is not of their own power, but it is of the power of the Holy Spirit that they're going to be able to do this. They recognize where that comes from, and that, that is another really important piece when it comes to church life, missions, evangelism, discipleship. These things are not done under the power of our own selves. Yeah. These things are done under the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you pray before those opportunities? Yeah, always. To, to seek the Holy Spirit, yeah. even in a little a meeting you're going to have. Yep. Hey, I'm going to go meet with this person to do some discipleship. I want to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to move during that meeting. It's, it's just, are you recognizing that on a day-to-day basis? Sometimes we get in the routine, we get into this, the we next, the next, the next. But the reality is we need to call upon the Holy Spirit for all of these things because it is for Jesus that we're doing them and for his glory and not our own. I think this is a good place to kind of conclude here and actually just read 32 to 35. Maybe in the next episode we can touch on it a little bit more. But the response of the believers goes from quoting scripture and thinking about Jesus to now asking that they would be granted the boldness to preach. They were then filled with the Holy Spirit. The house was shaken. All of these things happened. But the response continues. Look at verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's one of the the minimal facts that we have is at least the apostles believed it, and at least they went and they preached it. They absolutely believed it happened. But it says, with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. And I think the general uh, thought kind of ends there. But imagine the unity of the church where people are like selling their land. Yeah. I mean, it would almost be considered irresponsible if, if one of us got up in the pulpit and we said, all right, Everyone here who has land, um, 
sell some of it so we can advance the gospel. How would that come across? You know, like, I mean, this is some serious, bold efforts for the gospel, some amazing grace that was falling upon the church. And while I don't think that this is a prescription of what every single church should be doing, I think it's a description showing us the results of what it looks like to continue to pray to God for abundant grace and for the advancement of the gospel. It might just end up in you like losing your home and your land and all of that stuff. Yeah, but it's the Holy Spirit that moved here. Yes. The yeah. apostles didn't stand up and say, sell your stuff no. and give them to us so we can divide it. That wasn't what happened They were doing here. this willingly. Yeah, they did this on their own by the power of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I want you to do this with the belongings that you have and hand them over to me to be used for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so we have to recognize that. We're not, we don't want to push people to think that they have to do that. No. If it's not the calling of the Holy Spirit, there's there's no command here. Yeah. But I do think it's important for us to recognize where resources come from. Yes. And who's in control of them. Yep. And who we should be handing them over to. And I think that's the Holy Spirit for the work of the kingdom. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we don't do this in church today. You know, we don't come together and have meetings of, hey, everyone bring their stuff together, make sure everyone's good. Now, we do as a church want to make sure everybody's good. We don't want anyone to not have a meal. Right. Right. We don't want anyone not to have a place to live, you know, things like that. We take care of the church. That is the thing that we do. We have deacons that serve the body. Uh, those That's a really important calling. And so we have to make sure we're not just thinking this is what we have to do because that's what the early church did. This was their circumstances. Yeah. And they they used their circumstances to come together to ensure that the gospel would go beyond Jerusalem and into the rest of the world because, one, that's what Jesus told them to do. Uh, but they knew the importance of the message that they had. Yeah, while, while the text does not make it a command to sell everything that you have— other scriptures do indicate the fact that the Holy Spirit could tap on your heart and ask for everything that you have. And if that's the case, and it's the movement of the Holy Spirit, then you do have to obey. Or God could take it all away. He could. Because he wants to use you, like yep. Job. Yep. You know, so, <laughs> you know, you you never know what that's going to look like, but, but that's okay. Do you trust in what God is doing? So, if you had to summarize today's passage in this episode in an argument, like in one sentence, you know, we do this for Simeon Trust all the time, but if you had to summarize in an argument, you know, what this passage is saying with one sentence, what is it that we could say? It may not be perfect all, you know, like we would do for preaching, but what's the the general idea? God is in control of spreading the gospel. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I... I, I would maybe say something to the extent as well of God sovereignly uses the persecution of believers to advance the gospel. Yeah. You know, something to that extent. That's like something we would work on if, if we were to preach on this passage. Yeah, so. we, we certainly see the people responding to God, but they also know who's in charge. Yeah. And it's cool to see. Sometimes I think we feel alone in sharing the gospel as if it's an individual thing to where we're we're almost— we're almost like frozen by it, but who's really in charge of the word? What does Paul say about the gospel that the word is not bound? You can arrest them. You can persecute them, but the word will not be bound. And I think that's really important that we see that here, that the Holy Spirit is moving and using the people. Yeah. Praise God that no person on earth, you know, the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail, right? No person on earth can possibly remove the power 
and the authority of God's word and God's message of the gospel. You can't do it. You could you could try to isolate it. You could try to push it away, but you cannot get rid of this infectious message which leads to life for everyone who believes and repents. You can't do it. You cannot remove the power of God from the message, and that's good news. It is. It is good news. We live in a time right now where everything is fighting against the good news. Everything is pushing against what God wants, um, and it's so easy to recognize today. And I hope that you, listening, are being encouraged in the movement of the Holy Spirit, in the gospel work that's taking place in this world. Christians are working hard for their Savior. God is moving, and all glory goes to Him. And I hope that in your work, discipling somebody, in whatever it is that you're doing to invest in the kingdom, that you are giving praises to God, you're glorifying His name, and you're relying on Him to share the gospel. Thank you so much for listening into the Be Disciple podcast. Please share with your friends, family, uh, shoot them a text. We're on all major platforms, and just let them know, hey, Check out the book of Acts. We're going to learn about the early church and the spreading of the gospel. Have a blessed week.